We say good morning to Tim Hudak, who's on the morning brief today to offer his perspective on the day's big stories. Former leader of Ontario's Conservatives, now he's at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Good morning, sir. Good morning, John Moore. All right. You and I probably both had our party days, but I think they're long behind us. What do you think <laughs> of extended drinking hours in the city of Toronto? Yeah, look, I, I actually worked on, on this file in, in a couple of respects. Uh, as an MPP, I remember the debate about extending uh, drinking hours to 2 a.m. And there, you know, people were aghast. Oh, no, be drunk, spilling out in the street late at night and massive neighborhood disruption. It, now it's regular everyday life. I, we're growing up in the border in Fort Erie. We had a, a rush when bars would close at 1 We'd all hop in our cars, sadly. Not everybody uh, in, in the best condition drive across the Peace Bridge, hang out in Buffalo, right, where they had the later close. Uh, the bottom line is I, I do support this, and, and I do support it particularly for the city of Toronto. When you look around North America, the typical closing time is 2 a.m. But in some you know, great cities, New York City, Vancouver, uh, Montreal, they go to a later close. And, and I'd be one where this could be part of the City of Toronto Act. It could be by exception. I actually had that job as a minister who grants exceptions. I did that during the World Cup one time. Uh, so people could drink a bit, uh, I think it was earlier in the morning at that point in time. Do I think this is a province-wide solution, John? I don't. It's good for casinos, and I'll say it's good for the city of Toronto. Yeah, all right. Uh, what do you make of uh, Robert Benzie writing today in the Toronto Star that uh, MPPs haven't had a raise since 2008? It's well known they also don't get a pension. So are we being kind of stingy, or is this just sort of the price of public service? I have um, a long history on this file, and I'm glad Robert Benzie wrote about this because I bet most people didn't know about the MPP pay raise since 2000, and uh, sorry, pay free since 2008, uh, uh, like zero. I'm not sure everybody is going to be sympathetic listening to more in the morning, but but let me make the case. I, I had I experienced here both as an MPP and as a leader of the party. In fact, when when I was first elected under Premier Mike Harris, we froze wages, we eliminated the gold plated pension altogether. Now there's a matching RRSP program, and we eliminated extra pay for doing committee work on top of, of salaries. We did that until we balanced the budget. And then when we finished that, we actually tied MPP wages to MPs. We said, okay, whatever MPs get, we'll get 75% of that, a reasonable solution. Then Ernie Eves brought in a pay raise, or sorry, a pay freeze. Uh, and then when he looked to take it off, we had the uh, New Democrats, Peter Cormos, go sideways on it. And MPPs can be kind of chickens on this. When they see somebody's not on board, they all run in the opposite direction. McGinty then did a pay freeze, and it's been that way since 2008. So I've been through the, the file there. My view was, and then what happens in the gap when you try to correct it, and then there's a large pay increase, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of controversy. So it should be tied, it should be predictable, maybe connected to CPI just like we do with minimum wage by way of example. Here's the other hitch. As leader, it was very challenging to recruit people who are successful, particularly in the private sector. Yep, the biggest obstacle overcome was the life, the, the lack of privacy, that there could be reputational damage by being in the spotlight. But secondly, trying to recruit people when they were paid a lot less than they could in the private sector, particularly for people in their 40s and early 50s and prime earning years, or even to see MPPs leave like some have to get better 
jobs outside of politics. Long answer, though, I know, John, but I do support this. I do volunteer for the committee, set the wage, and then make a predictable, highly transparent increase and do get caught in this mess. You're right about the phenomenon, though, of where, you know, we freeze things and we say, look how budget-minded we are. And then years and years and years go by, and all of a sudden you are, like, doubled... Uh, percentage points behind where you should be and then all of a sudden so I I agree entirely and we talked about this yesterday of coming up with a system for example automatic CPI corresponding increases but then you get into the same situation that Olivia Chow is in where all of a sudden she's getting a pay hike she didn't even ask for yeah and you just got it you got to gut it out right very little sympathy for public figures politicians particularly this is you know well above the average income in the province but look this is an important job not only for getting the voice of all the various constituencies into the debate at Queen's Park. You're making decisions about our economy, making decisions about our health care, about our education for our kids, for public safety. These things matter. The provincial government, I would argue, is the most relevant to our day-to-day lives. You want to make sure you do attract the talent from all political parties to make the right decisions for the future of Ontario. COVID SIBA loans, which allowed some businesses to stay in business through COVID and then beyond, come to today and it doesn't seem that there's any flexibility in Ottawa about extending the deadline. What do you make of it? Yeah, I really wrestled with this one. Um, the, the particular hat I, I wear when I look at this issue was, you may recall, I was appointed by the province to chair a tourism recovery task force post-COVID and you know saw firsthand the devastation in the hospitality and tourism sectors. Then when the COVID restrictions were relieved, not shortly, shortly thereafter, we had a labor crisis that drove up costs and then the cost of food and inflation. It's very sympathetic to this sector. But you know, as I, I dive in deeper, a couple of facts have, have caused me to shift my position. There have been two extensions already. That's pretty generous. You've got over one-third who have paid back these loans. Now, what a terrible signal to them that they actually scraped and saved, and then another extension happens. And there's a transition here. Yep, you're going to lose the forgivable portion. The $20,000 of free taxpayer money you will no longer get but you still have a 5% rate, which is lower than you'd get privately. And then you can also refinance, right? Before this happens, you still get the forgivable part and you pay through a bank. So I do think now the time is for that transition. And the prime minister is making the right call and we're avoiding Milton Friedman's maximum. that There's nothing as permanent as a temporary government program. Uh, gun case is the latest to be tossed out because we don't have enough judges at Toronto Superior Court. This I find mind numbing, Tim, because I, how hard is it to appoint a judge? There are all kinds of lawyers who want to be judges, and it pays well. Yeah, like 90%, right? 90%. It, it is, um, well, number one, this is a vulnerability for the conservative government at Queen's Park, you know, who do try to say that they are tough on crime, to see criminals, gun crimes walking back into the street because of a failure to appoint judges. My second observation for having, you know, worked in provincial politics for so long is this has to be the area that is the most thick with process and how long it takes to appoint a judge. The freedom, the command judges have to to postpone things, to, to drag things out in court, that we have far too many rights for the, the prisoners in terms of appearances. Can't we convert more things to online hearings to speed up time and the amount of security spent? It, it's just thick with costs and process, and at the end of the day, you get outrageous outcomes like this. It is time to actually put a bright spotlight on our justice system and clean this up. And a group of millionaires has come together and said, you know what, tax us more. I have to imagine they're in pretty rare company. 
and and I'm, I'm not I'm not with them, and and I, I I'm never convinced that, that what comes out of a, a rather elite gathering in Davos is is good for the average Canadian. The average Canadian is certainly not millionaires, but this this does impact on on entrepreneurship in a negative way in terms of investment and hours worked. That uh, income is is easy to either hide overseas or to flee. Our marginal tax rate in Ontario. So for every if we get to the high the higher bracket, for every dollar you make, you pay fifty four cents in in taxes. That is a disincentive that is in the long run hard for economy. This one, I give it a pass. Thank you, sir. Good to have you. Have a great day. Of course, that was presuming that either Tim or I are multimillionaires, which is not the case, I'm sure.